0: I found myself over in East Texas this last week with Julie and the boys and had a great week. Uh, always enjoyed doing gospel meetings and uh, this one was especially enjoyable. Uh, really fine congregation over in Mount Vernon and uh, we just had a great time. And as I was thinking about these young, uh, young people sitting up on the pews this evening, I was thinking about uh, Mount Vernon and, and such a good work that they do over there is they've got a a tremendous amount. It's not a very large congregation. It's less than 100 people in number. But they have a tremendous number of men who go out on various Sundays of the month and preach in the area. Now, East Texas is obviously different in many ways from West Texas, uh, not counting the landscape. That's a given. But over in East Texas, you have towns that are much closer together. And so it's easy for these guys to go out and to preach somewhere and to easily come home. And sometimes they go back out somewhere else uh, on Sunday evenings. But I was just totally impressed with the number of men from that small congregation that are going out and preaching the gospel in other small congregations in that area that just simply uh, cannot afford to have a full-time guy. And as I was sitting there looking at these young men, uh, I was thinking, how many of these young men one day uh, will be those kind who will be able to go out and preach the gospel uh, in this area and areas where they might find themselves. And I'm just so excited about the young people in this congregation and these young ladies who are going to be fine wives of of servants. They're going to be great servants themselves. And uh, I'm just especially excited tonight as I look and see uh, these young people and their desire to serve God. And it's it's just uh, very fun to be a part of, isn't it? Uh, I appreciate them so much. I just got the area warmed up, by the way. Mike is, Mike is the main course, and he's about an hour south of where I was uh, last week. And so he's now in that area, and I know they were very excited for him to get over there. Uh, he's in Fruitvale, Texas, holding a meeting in a congregation where he's been uh, a number of times. And uh, I know that he's doing a great work and appreciates uh, keeping him in prayer. I have, hope, when, hope that you'll have your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 15. And what I want to do tonight is just pick up really where we left off this morning. And if you weren't here this morning, what we did is begin in chapter 15... ...looking and thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, we've spent several weeks not long ago looking at terms associated with the cross. And as we have looked at those terms associated with the cross... ...we have reminded ourselves of the blessings that we enjoy through the death of Jesus Christ the benefits that we find as His people through His blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness and there is no hope of being with Him in heaven for all time. But as we mentioned this morning, the foundation of everything rests then on the fact that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, that Jesus came out of the tomb. And because Jesus came out of the tomb, you and I have expectation ourselves of coming out of the tomb, that this life is not going to be it that we are going to live beyond this life as the Bible teaches us we are going to. And so we began looking in 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul begins in 1 Corinthians 15 by reminding them, these Christians in Corinth, that he has preached to them the gospel, the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, and all things encompassing salvation. He says, I proclaimed this to you, I preached this to you, declared it to you, you received it, And if you stay there, that's where you are saved. That's the hope that we have of living beyond this life and the expectation we have. Paul then will go into the evidence. He says, let me remind you of the evidence that we have of Christ's resurrection. And he goes through all the eyewitness accounts and uh, what he had seen, what Peter had seen, what other people had seen, the fact that Jesus did, in fact, raise from the dead. There's undeniable evidence, undeniable proof that that that's exactly what happened. And then we looked at the final section that we noticed this morning... was there in verses 12 through 19. And you recall that, that he says, let's just think about... what if there was no resurrection? What if Jesus really didn't come back to life? What if Jesus really did just stay in the grave? And he says, if that's what took place, then all my preaching... Paul says, is empty. It's futile. It's in vain. And that's the same with your faith. It is empty, it's futile, it's vain, it's worthless. And I'm a liar, Paul says. I'm a false witness, if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead. And then I said, he he reaches out and grabs him even closer, and he says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then you remain in your sin, and I'll take you one step further. All those who you think died in Christ, it doesn't matter. Those people that you think you're going to see again, you're never going to see him again. If there is no resurrection then there is not life beyond this grave, and you have laid eyes on them, so to speak, for the very last time. But brethren and friends, there is a resurrection. Jesus did come out of the grave. And so we ended by looking at the first sentence of verse 20, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Paul says, but now Christ is risen from the dead. He did come back to life. He did not stay in that tomb, but he was raised. Now, what I really want to do tonight is look at this phrase that he uses in verse number 23. He says, now Christ is raised from the dead, and he talks about this order. This order of the the resurrection and the way that it's going to be. Now, Christ has been resurrected from the dead, and so what does that say to you and me? What do we learn from this? He's telling these Christians, this is what I want you to know. That because Christ is raised from the dead, now we're talking about... Order. You see that phrase in your Bible in verse number 23 where Paul says, but each one in his own order. There is an order to the resurrection, Paul says. I want us to think about that tonight. I'm telling you this is exciting to really dive in and think about the order of the resurrection. If I understand that Jesus has been raised from the dead, now what does this have to do with me? That word order is an interesting one. This is the only time in the New Testament that this word is found in the original language. In classical Greek, the idea of this particular word had to do with an army being segmented into various divisions or groups. Now, I'm not a military man myself. Many of you men, some of you women sitting here tonight, military people, and, and you have a better idea, very, a better grasp on this particular word even than I do. But you understand that what we're dealing with here is a segment of military. And so what they would do is take the the whole of the military and segment them into different groups. And so I go back to pew packers. And occasionally one of these young boys will stand and they will ask everyone else to stand and they will sing the Lord's army. They will lead us in that song, the Lord's army. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, fly over the enemy, but... I'm in the Lord's army. That's what we're kind of talking about with this word order. The captain of our salvation was raised, and we, as his, are going to be raised ourselves in an order. And so what it speaks to, and this is fascinating for us to think about, because for the, I don't know, 500 millionth way, we are reminded that God is not like we are. I want you to think about order when it comes to God. I don't know you perfectly. I might be able to pinpoint a few of you and your personality... ...and you can pinpoint mine, perhaps. But there are some of us in here who are simply not like God... ...in that we are procrastinators. Are there procrastinators in the audience tonight? I find myself too often on the wrong side of this one... I'd rather not be a procrastinator, but there are some things that I find myself putting off from time to time that, uh, that I wish later on, I, I wish I would have just got that done. I remember being in school and putting off papers until the very end. Like, Oh, why did I do that? You, you put all this undue stress on yourself. Well, God is not like me. God is not a procrastinator. He has an order of doing things in a way that things are going to work. This This idea of the resurrection is the fact that God has a pre-designed idea and resurrection is going to be carried out in a very specific way. Some of you tonight are very good planners. Some of us are not the best. Some of you are very good at organizing exactly how things are going to go. I would be lost without the calendar on my phone. I've got to have things in there and know exactly what's coming up because I'm terrible at planning otherwise. And so we have these these things that help us. But you see, God, He's not that way, is He? He doesn't need a calendar. He he is perfectly organized in every way. And so He has this prearranged idea of exactly the order of the resurrection. And because He does, it reminds us of His eternal nature. It reminds us that God has had a plan and He knows exactly how all of this is going to play itself out. God is not flying by the seat of His pants. God is not just going to go with the flow like some of us tend to do. God has a specific plan and He is going to see it through all the way to the very end a specific order and so it speaks to His eternal nature. Friends, it also speaks to His power, power that you and I simply do not have. But God in His power knows exactly the order of how this is going to go, and certainly it speaks to His design. But that word order is very important to our conversation tonight. It's very important to our study there in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 23 because Paul says God has an order that the way this is going to go. He knows exactly how all of this is going to play out. Now what's the order? How is all of this going to play out? How is all of this going to be perfectly arranged? Well, this is how it's going to start. It's going to start with Jesus. Christ, the first fruits." verse number 23, each one in his own order. And it starts with Christ, the first fruits. there in, in chapter 15, and verse number 23. That word "firstfruits," if you keep your finger there, you go back to the book of Leviticus, and you look in chapter 23. And this is the first time that we are introduced to this idea of firstfruits. And this is under the law of Moses, I understand. But I think this is exactly what Paul is referring back to. But he says, the Bible says in Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 9, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering before the Lord. Here's the idea. When that field of yours first begins to get ripe, and the whole field may not be ripe yet, but when you've got enough ripe that you can go in and gather enough of that grain to make a sheaf, that you take that sheaf into the priest, and the priest is going to offer that very first sheaf of your harvest as a wave offering before the Lord. What's that signal? What's that for? What that shows is they're saying, we understand the more full harvest is yet to come. This is but the first ripe fruit, the first fruits of the harvest, but it was a way of demonstrating that we understand and trust that a fuller harvest is coming behind it. And so Christ is the first fruits. Christ is the, if you will, prototype of pure resurrection. He went before us to show that, yes, there's coming a time He is the one who is to die, never to die again. You know and understand that Christ was not the first person ever to be raised from the dead, was he? In fact, we read in John chapter 11 that he would raise his good friend Lazarus from the dead. But what happened to Lazarus later on? Well, he died again, didn't he? And Jesus didn't bring him back that time. He died again. His body is in a grave somewhere. And he didn't come back to life. And so Jesus is the prototype of the pure resurrection, the first fruits to demonstrate and show what is to come later on. Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. This is the order that God has put into place. He is the prototype of the pure resurrection. Well, we keep reading. And what do we find at the end of verse number 23? Well, Christ, He's the first fruits, And afterward, there are those who are Christ's at His coming. And so here is your order of the resurrection. First, you have Christ, and He is going to be raised first, never to die again. And there is coming a day uh, later on, Paul says, in the order of things, when those who are Christ's at His coming are going to be raised. how much thought have you given to that day? That day when when Jesus comes back and and we're raised. That day when our bodies are transformed from the physical into the spiritual. That day when we put off corruption and we put on incorruption. When we put off morality and we put on immorality. Ah, Sometimes I'm afraid we get too consumed in them. Corruptible. And we don't give much thought to the incorruptible. But my friend, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to come back and we are going to be changed and we are going to be raised. And Paul says, this is the order that God has prescribed. The captain of our salvation has gone on before us, but the order, he will gather his ranks and we will all be with him. Those who are a part of his army. And there's an order to this. And that's what God has laid out for us. Now that word coming is also an interesting one in our context. We've looked at the word order, now think about the word coming for just a second. That word coming is also interesting in that it is is a word that uh, was used to show that an important dignitary, a king, a monarch was going to pay a visit and so, whenever the king or the monarch was coming, uh, that was a big deal, right? And so, you were preparing for that, and you were going to throw a great big feast, and there was going to be a a big show put on because somebody very important was about to show up. They were coming. But there's a second definition for this word. Coming. I think of Paul Revere. You know, the British are coming. The British are coming. It's an invasion. And that's another way that this word can be used. An invasion of an enemy taking on another nation. And so if you please, as we think about this coming, when, when Christ is coming back, oh, we certainly can look at this as a monarch, as the king is coming. But it is also right to think about this as earth's last invasion by heaven. Heaven's last invasion of earth. He's coming. He is coming back. And so we need to understand this. And it reminds me of the words of Paul over in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you look there with me, beginning in verse number 16. It's really verse 19 I want to get to, but back up with me to verse 16... ...where Paul says to these Christians, "...shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness... ...and their message will spread like cancer." Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth. What are they saying? Well, they're saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. As it was in the days of Paul, so it is in the days that we live. There are those who have all this misconception and all these false ideas regarding the second coming of Christ, regarding the resurrection and what's going to take place. And Paul was fighting this and he calls a couple of men out because of their false teaching on it, as if the resurrection had already taken place. And and I guess that just leaves us dead. But you missed it. That's what these people were saying. Paul says, I want to remind you of this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Jesus is coming back. There's an order to this and the way it's going to play out. And so Jesus came and He lived and He died and He was raised and He has gone back to heaven just as the Scriptures tell us He was going to do. And the order next is that when He comes back, we who are His are going to go and be with Him. That's the order that is laid out in the Scripture. Now, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want you to read in your Bible. I'll give you just a second to get there. I want you to see it. and I want you to notice specifically what it says, because as it was in the days of Paul, so we find false things being distributed in our lives today regarding the second coming of Jesus and exactly what's going to take place. But you go back in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15, and so we see in verse 23 that there is an order to this, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at His coming. And verse 24 says what? Then comes the end. Is that in your Bible? Then comes the end. Now what happens at the end? Well, we keep reading. When He delivers the the kingdom to God the Father. When He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all and in all. Don't get bogged down in the weeds for a minute. I just want you to see what the Bible says, what your Bible says in verse number 24. Paul says, Christ the firstfruits, he's, he's gone on, the first to die, never to die again. First to be raised, never to die again. Then we who are his, at his coming, and then comes the end. Well, tell me, Paul, what happens at the end? Well, what happens at the end, he says in verse 24, that's when he's going to deliver the kingdom back to the Father. You know what your Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say, then comes the end when he sets up the kingdom. It doesn't say that, does it? Your Bible says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom. What does that tell us? The kingdom's already here, isn't it? You see, verse 24 and verse 26 are looking into the future. This is what's going to take place in the future. But verse number 25 is written in the original language in the present tense. You know what Jesus is presently doing? Reigning. He's presently reigning over His kingdom. And when the end comes, when the order takes place, and those who are Christ his coming, then at the end He's going to deliver the kingdom that He's reigning over currently... Deliver it to the Father. That, that is, he's going to take those who are his, who are a part of his kingdom, and he's going to deliver them to the Father. To say it another way, brethren and friends, those who are Christians, those who are his, those who are a part of the kingdom that Paul was a part of, Colossians 1.13, those who are a part of that kingdom, they're going to be with God in heaven for all time. That happens at the end, when Christ is done reigning as he is currently. ...over the kingdom that exists currently. Then comes the end. How's the end going to look? Well, this is, again, something we need to be armed with. And I'm not questioning your knowledge of this... ...but, you know, if we don't talk about this... ...it never gets talked about, we need to talk about it. And this is what the Bible has to say about the second coming of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11... ...the apostles are standing there... ...watching Jesus go up into the sky, Right? And they're watching Jesus and he gets carried onto a cloud and and he's taken out of their sight. An angel comes along. He says, brethren, why are you looking up into the sky? The Lord is going to come back just as you saw him go on a cloud. He's going to be in the sky just as you saw him go. Now we start connecting some dots and we go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here, again, is a, a full picture of what exactly is going to take place when Jesus comes back. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verse 16, the Bible says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, catch it, to meet the Lord Where? In the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There is an order to the way that this resurrection is going to take place when Jesus comes back. Jesus is the first part of that order, and his part has already been taken care of. He has already died, he has been raised, and he will never die again. And he is reigning over his kingdom from heaven even today. But he's coming back. The Bible says he's coming as a thief in the night. And that is, it's not determined for us to know. It's going to be a secret the day that he comes back. And some have taken that a step further and said, well, he's going to come in secret. And that's not what my Bible says. It's yours there in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. That's going to be pretty loud, isn't it? The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, it's going to be with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. That doesn't sound too secret to me. You're going to hear it. When he comes back, you're going to know it. You need to be prepared for it. Brethren, he's coming back. And when he comes, judgment will begin. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When he comes back, this earth is going to be destroyed. It's going to be burned up. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. And so as we begin to conclude our study tonight of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to go on just a little bit further. And I want to begin to wrap this up because I think this is vitally important for us to get and get a hold of. Paul has said this was a a message that he had delivered to these Christians in the past, a message that they received. And he says, I'll offer you all the evidence you need to know that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb and is alive. And I'll talk to you about the fact that what if if he didn't come out of the tomb and all of the the time that we're wasting here But then he says Jesus did come out of the tomb and someday all of us are going to be raised to be with the Lord. There's an order. The end is coming. And so he drops down and he says, Otherwise, verse 29, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in which you and I have... In Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. Beginning in verse 29, it's as if he reverts back. To where he concluded in verse 19. All of those things that we don't enjoy. All of the things that he says, if Jesus didn't rise, then you know, we're just wasting our time. And he uses this phrase in verse 29. And I think it's a difficult thing to translate. People have struggled with it. And as I read from the New King James and you read from other translations, you're going to find that they read a little bit differently. But he talks about this business of... Being baptized for the dead. Some denominations have taken that and run with it. and Well, simply, there's no authority for such of of me being baptized by proxy for somebody who's already died. That that I can be baptized for somebody who's dead and that's going to change their eternal state. That doesn't make any sense. I can't be baptized for anybody any more than I can repent for somebody. I'm going to stand in judgment for me and you're going to stand in judgment for you. The Bible says that very clearly. So he's not talking here about somebody being baptized for somebody else and changing their eternal destination. That's simply not going to happen and it's not true. What is he saying? Let me ask it very simply. Can I ask you in this auditorium tonight who have been baptized for the forgiveness of your sin? who have obeyed the gospel, who have been added in doing so by the Lord to His church. Can I ask those of you sitting in this auditorium tonight who have done that, why did you do that? Why were you baptized? you know the answer? Because you expect to live after you die. Because you expect that there is life ...beyond the grave. And that's the point that he seems to be making to me... ...in verse 29. If the dead do not rise... ...then why were you baptized? That's what he's asking these Christians. If there is not life beyond the grave... ...then why would you do that? And he's asking them to look inside themselves... ...and to answer the question. You know why you obeyed the gospel because you expect to to live after you die. The dead are going to be raised, and they're going to be with Jesus. You were baptized because you knew that there is life beyond the grave. You were baptized with the resurrection being a reality in your mind. There's every reason to believe that, because that's exactly what the Bible says is going to happen. And I say again tonight that you and I have no hope of being raised from the dead if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. But because Jesus was raised from the dead, you and I expect ourselves to be raised from the dead and to go on and to be with Him after He returns. Isn't that right? Tonight, how much hope do you have? You know, we pull verse 33 out. And I suppose it's okay to do so. I do it myself from time to time. But you've put that back in its context of what he's dealing with there. And he says, don't you you let Hymenaeus and Philetus, don't you let these men and their word that's going to spread like cancer, don't you let them deceive you. You're going to be raised. You're going to live beyond the grave. The resurrection hasn't already taken place. It is to come. Jesus is going to return. And you get to go and be with him. Don't let evil company deceive you. Don't let them tell you a lie. It's going to happen and you need to know it. So what's my responsibility? Verse 34, as a Christian, my responsibility is to awake to righteousness. I want to strive always to be faithful to God, to be ready when Jesus returns and he gathers those who are his. Tonight, are you prepared? As a Christian tonight, are you ...faithful to Him? Are you ready for Him to come back? I don't know when He's coming and neither do you... ...but I know He is. Are you prepared for it? That's an honest question you can ask yourself. And if the answer tonight is no... ...and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation in a public way... ...then won't you do just that? If you need to come back to Him... ...then won't you repent of sin in your life... ...and won't you come and do what He says you must? Won't you be right again? But my friend, if you're not a Christian... And the kindest way I can tell you is you're simply not ready for Jesus to come back. But the great news is, He has provided you a way to be right. Through His offering of His own self on the cross, through the blood that He shed, you can be right with Him tonight. Won't you take advantage of His sacrifice? And won't you obey Him and what He says you must in order to be saved? Do you believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? Are you willing to make that confession, to repent of sin in your life? Are you ready to be immersed in the waters of baptism to have your sins forgiven? Are you ready to be one of His? Tonight, if you're ready, then won't you come while together we stand and sing.